So this week, I'm going to be using uh, one of Jesus' own teaching tricks um, that uh, as we do this uh, sermon here, in the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sermons, he uh, used this technique where he said something like this. He said, you have heard that it was said, and then he would uh, talk about some uh, religious teaching that was out there that people had interacted with, and he'd say, but I say to you, and he would give a correction to this, this partially true um, thing that he was, uh, he was correcting there. And, and so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to talk about some understandings of the Christian life and, and, and about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that are only partially correct. And then I'm going to explain what the true facts, according to the Bible, are about these particular points. However, when Jesus did this, um, people were amazed by Jesus, and they talked about how he was teaching them with authority, and not like the kind of teaching that they were used to. See, Jesus could say, but I say to you, because Jesus was Jesus, and he had authority to, to just say, this is the way things really are. You've heard something else, but let me tell you the truth here. But I do not have that kind of authority. And so instead of uh, saying, uh, uh, but I say to you, I'm going to say, but the Bible says to you, and I'm going to show you from the word of God uh, the truth that, uh, that as it pertains to these particular things. Because the only authority that I actually have is derived authority from this, uh, the Bible that I am preaching from. So the Bible has authority. It is the Holy Scripture that was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so it carries the same authority, in fact, as if a voice from the clouds spoke down to you and told you something. That's the same thing as reading from the Bible. These are the words of God. And the area of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives that we are going to talk about today is what we call, in, uh, in theological language, we call it sanctification. Now, um, here's the thing, is that for, uh, for most of the decade of the 2000s, I was a Bible college professor in uh, South Africa, where I was training pastors and church leaders to do ministry. And one of the things that I used to tell my students all the time was, never use words in your preaching and teaching that you learned at Bible college, because the people in your church have not been to Bible college, and they don't know those words. So if you learned it here, they don't know it, so don't use those words. And... Words like sanctification uh, fit that description. That's a word that you learn at Bible college that most people are not familiar with. Um, however, however, there is uh, an exception that I told my students at the time and that I'm going to use now. You can use these words that you learn at Bible college if you take the time to explain them, especially if they're really good theological terms and, and like this term that actually comes from the straight out of the Bible, and, uh, and there it's helpful for all of us if we learn what these terms mean. And so that's what I'm going to do now. I'm going to talk about this, uh, this word sanctification. So sanctification, we can think of it uh, kind of a short-term or a shortcut way of understanding sanctification is we can think of it as saintification, like being made a saint, right? Sanctification is like sanctification. And the reason that this kind of a sound-alike term works, sort of, is that, um, is that it's from the same root word. Sanctification and saint are from the same root word, and it is the word for holiness. 
a saint is a holy person, and sanctification is the process of the means to make something holy. So what does it mean to be holy? Well, at its core, holiness means to be set apart. Um, when something or someone is holy, it is set apart from something and for something else. A good illustration of this is from the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. This was shortly after the, the uh, Israelites came out of Egypt and they set up a tabernacle, which was a, a place of worship where they were going to offer sacrifices to God. And as, the, uh, as it was giving them instructions about the tabernacle, um, it, it gave instructions about, quote, all the utensils used for ministering at the altar, including the fire pans, meat forks, shovels, and sprinkling bowls. And then in the next verse, it refers to these things as all the holy articles. So uh, in what sense were these shovels and meat forks holy? Right? They were set apart. These things, uh, you, you don't use these things for other purposes. You don't take the holy shovel which is meant for, for cleaning the uh, ashes off of the altar when the sacrifices were complete, and you don't take that shovel and go out and dig a hole with it, right? It was set apart only for uh, the use in the tabernacle. It was not for common purposes. It was a holy shovel. Um, but it's not just that it's, it's, it's set apart so you don't use it for these other things. It was set apart for a purpose for um, the worship of God. So to be holy is to be set apart from something and for something else. And with shovels and sprinkling bowls and forks and things with the tabernacle, it's simple to understand that, right? Um, with people, it's more complicated. Uh, and, but the core idea is the same. Right? A holy person is someone who has been set apart from some things, and, and we call those things sin or sinful behaviors. And, and, and that person, a holy person, has been set apart for other things. We call those things godly behaviors. Right? So, but since people are so much more complicated than the tools used in the tabernacle, our sanctification is a process, not a one-time event, right? With the holy shovel, you just physically take it and you put it in the tabernacle and you set it apart and it's done. You've sanctified that tool for its purposes. Um, with people, it's not so easy because we have a tendency to drift into sin. We have a predisposition that leads us to the very things that we have been set apart from. And we often have a resistance to doing the good things that we are set apart for. And when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about the process in which people are made holy, right? That is, we are learning and growing in the practice of holiness in learning to say no to sinful behavior and yes to godly behavior. 
So today, we're, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to look at some misunderstandings of the process of sanctification in this, you have heard it said, but the Bible says to you kind of a format, right? So here's the first one. You have heard it said, we must stop sinning in order to be forgiven. In other words, if you want to be acceptable to God, you must first clean up your act and clean up your life. You can't be dropping F-bombs and smoking cigarettes and living with sinful habits and become a Christian. We can't be greedy and selfish and be on good terms with God. We first need to quit all that stuff and get ourselves together, and then we can come to God and ask Him for forgiveness. Another way of putting it is that we need to make a certain amount of progress in our sanctification in leaving behind sin and doing good before God will see that we are worthy of His love and forgiveness. But that is a false idea. That is not what the Word of God says. Here's what the Bible actually teaches. But the Bible says to you, right behavior is the result of forgiveness, not the cause. Right behavior is the result of forgiveness, not the cause. Cleaning up our lives and setting ourselves apart from sin comes after we have already been accepted and forgiven by God. We do good as a result of God's love for us, not as a means to make ourselves worthy of God's love. And we're going to look at two sections from the Bible that teach this truth. The first one is from Romans chapter 5, where it says, in Romans chapter 5, let's see, what verse am I starting with here? Verse 6, yes. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did God love us and care enough to send Jesus to die in our place on the cross? While we were still selfish and mean while we were still treating other people horribly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now flip over to Ephesians for another passage that teaches this truth. Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 8. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Our salvation is a gift. Sabrina was just saying that a few minutes ago. That it is a free gift that we receive from God. Our salvation is a gift, is an act of God's grace. That means it is something that we do not deserve. It is not by works. There's nothing we have done to earn it. It, comes, it does not come from any good deeds that we have done or bad deeds that we have avoided. But look at the next verse. Verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
So yes, it says that we are saved by grace and not by works, but, uh, but rather um, the order of events here, the order of events, it is crucial, right? It says we are saved for good works, but first we are saved by grace, and only then are we given good works to do. This is the biblical teaching. We do not need to stop sinning in order to get into right relationship with God. Right behavior is not a prerequisite for our salvation. Right behavior is the result of our salvation. We're saved by grace so that we can do the good things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. And that brings us to the next misunderstanding of sanctification. You have heard that it was said... Godly living is mainly avoiding sin. Sometimes when we think about growing as a Christian, the main thing that we think about is getting rid of all of our bad habits and avoiding sins and, and, and stopping doing all the bad things. We think that sanctification is all about saying no to temptation. But the Bible says to you, that godly living includes both avoiding sin and doing good. Now, I don't want to downplay the, the importance of uh, resisting temptation and, and avoiding sin. Clearly, that is a crucial part of the whole thing. Um, but sometimes we focus too much on that. And we forget that God desires for us to go way beyond just staying away from evil. We are called to do good. And both of those two sides of it are necessary parts for Christian growth. We must make progress in doing less evil and in doing more good. Pastor Mike and I were talking about this idea um, this week, and he brought up these, these monks that he studied about in college, who these guys uh, moved out into the desert this is uh, centuries ago, moved out into the desert and lived in these isolated monasteries so that they could avoid temptations. And they were setting themselves apart, right, from sin, um, even in a geographical sense. They were, they were really going to be set apart. They were really going to be holy. They were going to go out there. And I suppose that they had some success in doing fewer overtly evil deeds. But were they, uh, what were they doing for good living isolated out in the desert? Not much. Remember the, the, the holy shovels in the tabernacle that we were talking about a few minutes ago? Um, these guys, these monks in the desert, were like shovels that, uh, yeah, they were, they, were, they were set aside from common use, by locking them into a box so that they would never, and then throwing away the key, right? But they're useless. Yes, they're not being used for anything bad, but they're also not being useful. That is not what we were called to be like. Those tools in the tabernacle were set aside from common purposes to be used in the worship of God and for holy purposes in the tabernacle. So we are to stop doing sinful things, yes, so that we can do good things. And doing good is at least as important 
as avoiding sin. So let's, let's take a few moments to look at a well-known passage that teaches us about this principle. This is from the book of Galatians, which is one page back in my Bible from where I just was in Ephesians. So Galatians chapter 5, starting with verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we haven't said much about the Holy Spirit yet, but uh, in this passage, we're going to correct that. We're going to have lots to say about the Holy Spirit and His work in our sanctification. Um, see, we are not left on our own to uh, make ourselves more holy and to, to stop sinning and do good. God doesn't expect us to do that on our own power. The Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. And this first verse from this passage emphasizes the side of sanctification that is avoiding sin, right? He says, if we walk by the Spirit, that is, if we are living our lives in tune with the Spirit of God, we will not be gratifying our base desires to sin. Verse uh, 16, Uh, sorry, verse 17. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now by the flesh here, it means those, those kind of uh, base desires and tendencies towards selfish indulgences. And the next verses explain exactly what he's, what he's talking about by these desires of the flesh. It says, uh, verse 19, The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a nasty list that he has there of behaviors and attitudes to avoid. And uh, this is not how we are to live. And if we do live like this, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is, we will not find ourselves with God in paradise for eternity. If we walk by the Spirit, though, if we cooperate with Him in our sanctification... These kinds of behaviors will not characterize our lives. And we will do these kinds of things less and less as we grow and mature in our uh, life as Christians. But of course, that's not the end of the discussion. The actual famous part of this passage is what we come to next. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are positive virtues. They are ways of living that God wants from us and for us. They are the kind of life that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. It's not just about avoiding hate. It's about living in love. It's not just about avoiding violence. It's about gentleness. It's not, just about, um, it's not just about avoiding impurity and debauchery. It's about kindness. See, so there's, there, it's not just avoiding the bad. We must go and live 
in goodness and do good in the world. So let's make sure that we don't think of our growth in the Christian life as primarily about learning to sin less. Of course, we do want to sin less, but that's only half of it. We need to learn to live a positively righteous and holy life. We need to be a tool that is not just set apart from common and mean use, but is set apart for godliness. And at the risk of swinging the pendulum too far the other way, let me suggest that the Christian who has made great progress in doing good and is living a life characterized by the positive fruit of the Spirit, but still struggles to bring into line a good number of sinful habits and behaviors, is further along in his sanctification than the one who lives a clean life outwardly, but does nothing good and uh, makes no progress in the kingdom of God and does not have the love of God flowing through them, resulting in acts of kindness and gentleness and goodness. Okay, here's the last misunderstanding that we are going to talk about today. You have heard that it was said, forgiveness of sins is good enough. Another way to put this idea is that the crucial part of Christianity is what happens at the final judgment. It's, it's really all about that moment when we stand before God and He decides our eternal destiny. And if we've put our faith in Jesus and been saved by His grace, then Jesus' death will count as payment for all of our sins and we will go to live with God in eternity. And obviously, that is immensely important, right? I would even say that it is the most important thing, but there's more. There is more. If this is the extent of your Christian life, then you have missed an enormous part of it because the Bible actually says, but the Bible says to you, forgiveness of sins is just the beginning, Putting our faith in Jesus and receiving forgiveness for sins is the start of the Christian life. It isn't the end of the journey. God has so much more for us. Our sanctification is important. So here's a key passage on this idea from, uh, from the Bible. This is in the, the letter of 2 Peter, where he says, uh, starting in verse 5, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. He says make every effort. Once you have reached the point in your spiritual journey where you've put your faith in Jesus and your eternal destination is set, now is the time to make every effort to add to your faith. And you notice that this, this list here of the, the virtues that he encourages in us is pretty similar to, has a lot of overlap with that, uh, the fruits of the Spirit from, from the previous passage. And notice that this is not an optional side quest, right? This is the Christian life. 
Our sanctification, our growth in putting off sin and putting on righteousness is what we are to be about. We are instructed to make every effort to do this. The next verse, verse uh, 8 says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... And notice, you know, it's, it's progress that we're looking for, increasing measure, not finality, right? If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in uh, your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what he's saying here? There is a genuine danger that Christians can be ineffective and unproductive. Even though they do have a true knowledge of our Lord Jesus, clearly he isn't talking to people here who are not Christians, right? These people are saved from their sins. They will be in heaven with us, but they might also be ineffective and unproductive. Do you want to be ineffective and unproductive? If not, here's how to avoid that. He's just explained it to us. Make every effort because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And then this section ends with another warning here in verse 9. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sin. See, God wants to work in your life and through your life. He wants to transform you and he wants to use you. And the Holy Spirit, as we've been saying in this series, is like the wind for the sailing ship, right? He provides the power to make these things happen. We are not expected to do all this through our own will and our own force of effort. He provides the power. But a ship does not make good progress just because the wind is blowing. We need to raise the sails and man the wheel and tack into the wind in order to take advantage of the power that God provides. Right? We need to keep in step with the Spirit. We need to walk by the Spirit. There's all these different phrases that the, the Bible uses. We need to follow the Spirit's guidance in our lives. We need to catch the wind and cooperate with God's work in our lives so that we will live by the fruit of the Spirit. So how do we get in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives? If we want to make every effort, like the Bible says, what do we do? Well, the first thing, and, and probably the most important thing, is simply to determine to grow in our sanctification, to recognize this is our project, this is the thing that we need to be striving for. We need to decide that we will work on avoiding sin and on doing good. See, it's too easy to be lazy 
in our faith and to not really even try to grow. But once we have determined that we want to grow, the next step is simply to practice the things that we want to be like. Read those lists that we just talked about in, in Ephesians, uh, or sorry, in Galatians and in 2 Peter. And start doing them. <laughs> right? And you won't be good at it day one. Right? You, you say, okay, I'm going to be loving and gentle and kind, and, and you try doing it, and you find, oh, I'm not very good at it yet. Guess what? You won't be good at it on day 3,000 either unless you're practicing it. And then once you've determined it and you've, and you've decided to start trying to do these things, start practicing them, then, then spend some time in God's Word. Spend some time in prayer asking God to help you. Spend some time with like-minded people who are also trying to grow in their sanctification. And talk with them about uh, how you can do more good and then go out and do good things together. Find ways that, that you and your friends and your, can go out and do something good. And read some good books on how to do good work. And then you got to fight temptation. you got to get an accountability partner who can help you with beating some of those sins in your life that you find most difficult to avoid. You need to get out there and you need to, 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 to share the gospel with people. And you need to, to, to help those who have needs. And you need to be a friend to the lonely person. Do the things that God wants from us. Make every effort. Keep in step with the Spirit. And your life can be characterized by the good things of God rather than the evils of selfishness and sin. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to be holy. We want our lives to be separate from sin. And we want to do the good things that you have prepared in advance for us to do. May your Holy Spirit provide the power so that we can make progress and grow in these things in increasing measure. Pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>